Coming to the second scripture reading for today, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 15 as we continue our series, our sermon series. Um, And the good news of the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. So Acts 17, 1 through 15, page 926 of your pew Bibles. I invite you to stand once more. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they had arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they also... Uh, came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. There's something I've noticed that's interesting about Americans, uh, and I'm speaking of, as one, of course. Uh, it's that on the one hand, Americans love to talk about how we've made this clean break with, with Great Britain, and we're not under royalty, and, 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 and we get to do what we want to do, and the queen can't tell us, and the king can't tell us what to do. But on the, the other hand, I've seen this cultural phenomenon where Americans love to learn about royalty, and the Americans love to, uh, to watch the weddings of, of kings and queens, and, and they love to keep track of who the king is and, and what's going on, and, and they love to see the parades and, and, and the, uh, uh, the nobility of it all. See, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of that, uh, but I, I think, at least I'll make this point, that Americans have a bit more respect for nobility than we care to, to admit, that we're a bit more enchanted with with nobility, that we still see that it has some sort of interest or weight. We, we want to know about nobles. And I think that if we were in the presence of some nobles, we would do just a wee bit of swooning, whether we should or shouldn't. I don't know. But my point is this. 
Here's what this all has to do with this passage. Paul encounters nobles, royalty in this passage. Did you notice that? He meets kings and queens. But it's not the emperor of Rome. It's not the king or queen of England. In fact, who he meets, the royalty he meets is is not who you'd expect. They're in this town called Berea, off the well-worn path. It's a small town, as the towns go. And the royalty are not royalty because of their lineage or because of their wealth, but because of their reading abilities and because of the patterns in which they engage in reading. They are royal readers of the Bible. The Bereans are royalty in Paul's eyes and in God's eyes. And so so can you be too. As you approach the scriptures by faith, searching them diligently, it's as if the Lord is putting crowns upon the heads of each of these ones as they search the scriptures to see if they're so. I want you to see this morning that we have a contrast. Really, this whole passage is this this big contrast. You've got a contrast between the troublesome Thessalonians and the better Bereans, the noble Bereans, the royal Bereans. We're going to see this pan out as, as we read this text. So lean in, look at me first with the troublesome Thessalonians and then the better Bereans. And this whole thing, uh, this whole pursuit of God's word is not just to, uh, to, to take a log of how people responded 2,000 years ago, but really to realize this is all about us. That we are one of two very different kind of readers, one of two very different responders to the Bible. And God calls you to respond to his word with diligence, with eagerness, with faith. First, let's, let's look at the contrast. Let's look at these Thessalonians. Uh, they are described in this passage as rebels, not royalty, but rebels. And it's because of their stubborn resistance to God's word. So just to give a little bit of, of context, what's happening? The gospel is going out. Good news starting off from Jerusalem, and it's spreading all over the place. By this point, it's even gotten over to Europe. It's crossed into Macedonia. And we heard last week of how the gospel uh, broke ground in Philippi. Three very different kinds of people believed. And then what we start to see happen is, is uh, it doesn't stop there. Paul wants to get that good news out. It's so worth sharing that he's traveling to city after city after city. And so he gets to Thessalonia. Um, Thessalonica, that is. And what does, he, what does he do? Well, Paul wants to hold a Bible study. And what do they do? They form a mob. You know, overreact much? Come on, that escalated very, very quickly. Uh, but really, you need to understand why it escalated so quickly. That when Paul says, hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus, and they say, get out of our town or we'll kill you, the response is because... This isn't really about truth for them. This isn't what God wants them to hear. It's what they want to believe. They don't want anyone unsettling the world that they've crafted for themselves. They want to be left alone in their worldview, living according to their own rules. And so notice what they do. The Thessalonians decide to attack people rather than to engage in arguments. 
Look at verse 5, verse 6, verse 7. You see, you know, they get angry. A mob forms. Uh, they, they drag a man out of his house who's become a Christian. They don't want to argue. They don't want to talk. They just want to attack this thing that's come too close to their worldview. And, and if you're hearing this and saying that sounds familiar, well, it should. Because it's very much what we do see in our own day and age. We live in an age, and, and I, I, I'm saying this to show you the connection to the world of the Bible, to our world today. We live in an age of intense pride. Where as long as you let people believe what they want to leave, uh, believe and do what they want to do, you're, you can be their best friend. You don't, they don't have an issue with you necessarily. But as soon as you start to enter their world and say, hey, God, God is telling you that you shouldn't live this way. It becomes explosive, right? We live in a world where people have already decided before they've even entered into thinking about the scripture that the Bible is anti-woman, anti-freedom, anti-reason, ancient mumbo jumbo, full of contradictions. You heard all that before in different, ver- different iterations of that kind of thing? And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us when we come and we want to talk to our friends and neighbors about Jesus. Sometimes in a cool, calm way and other times saying, don't go this way or you'll die. That, uh, this is the way of death to, to go down this path. The, the reaction is, you are a problem. And it escalates quite quickly, doesn't it? I want to show you a key example here in the text. Um, they go to the ruling authorities. The mob that's formed uh, complains. These Christians are turning the whole world upside down with their teaching. They're changing things. Stop them. But guess what they never ask? What if the world is already upside down and Christians are flipping it right side up? They never stop to ask that. In fact, that's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says that the world needs changing. The world desperately needs turned right side up because of the problem of sin. What is sin? Since a word we use uh, really to denote a rebellious attitude that says to God, hey, God, I don't want you. I don't need you. You stay over there in the box I've defined for you. Let me live life according to my own terms. And that can happen on the individual level. It can also happen on the corporate level. In fact, we've seen, we saw it happen on the corporate level this past Tuesday. The world is turned upside down and we see its tentacles deep. The tentacles of sin flipping God's purposes upside down. What, what God meant, God, l- let, me, let me define this clearly. God meant the world to be lived, uh, to praise him, to worship him, to say no to self and yes to God. No to death, yes to life. And yet the world says, I think I know a better way than yours, God. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And we've seen what that way looks like. It looks incredibly upside down. It looks, in fact, like like certain... It looks like eagle's eggs in a nest having more rights 
than a baby moments before he or she is born. That's an upside down world. That should hurt us. That should bother us. And it should make us want to say, the world needs to be flipped right side up again. And guess what? The gospel does that. The gospel is all about cultural change. In fact, it's, 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 it's so much broader than the culture war, wars that we tend to enter into. We want to change, you know, politicians and, and politics. I mean, the gospel is talking about a new heavens, a new earth. It leaps past our little wars and says, we're talking about a place that's free of sin and a place where righteousness rules and reigns. So yes, the gospel is deeply um, cultural and, and talks about a world that is so different than this broken one in which we live. That it, where justice does not rule and reign. So let me just pause very briefly here to say this. If, friends, if you're deeply bothered by what you're seeing in the world around us and, and what the world is enshrining, then the response isn't a, a kind of anger that leads to violence or chaos, but it is rather a response that leads to sharing the good news about Jesus, saying, I know a Savior who can change your heart. I know a Savior who can who can." Who, who taught me and is teaching me to love life more than death. He can do the same thing for you. That's the power of the gospel to change people, to turn the world upside down. That's what people were seeing in this day and age. That's what they can see today. And yet notice that the Thessalonians respond by complaining about it. They're changing things. Stop them. Focusing on the Thessalonians here to show you that sometimes people will find any reason to reject God's word. Any reason. I've heard a lot of them as a pastor. Listen to a few of these. I'm not going to listen to the, to the Bible. It's outdated. You ever heard someone say that? I'm not going to listen to the Bible. It's outdated. But what if it's true? The music was really weird in that worship service. Yeah, but what if the sermon was true? I don't like the Old Testament. I like the New Testament God better. Well, there's an assumption there that needs to be challenged, but what if what the Bible is saying as a whole is true and there's not a difference between the Old Testament and New Testament God? You see, are, are you getting the sense of what I'm saying? It's what if what the Bible really says trumps your preferences, trumps your assumptions, and it's really the real deal. You actually have to reckon with that. You can't just dismiss it offhand because it doesn't suit your fancy. Maybe the Bible is, is just the kind of book inspired by God to enter into your world and say, you've been looking at things all wrong. You've been looking at things upside down. Let's get them right side up. Maybe you don't like that. But if it's true, then it has to happen. My challenge to you who are here, in fact, if you're here, let me just say this, then I don't believe you're, you're quite like the Thessalonians. If you're here and you're, and you're thinking about the Bible, then you're already to the point where you're saying, I want to know what this is really about. I want to seek out whether this is true. Praise God for that. Keep asking questions. Keep reading the Bible. Keep, keep looking into this. Keep asking Christians what they believe. Don't dismiss it offhand, but really dig in and go deep. Because if this is true, and I believe it is, and I proclaim to you it is this morning, then we're talking about 
truth that turns the world upside down and, and, and bursts about every bubble that our culture has, has, has blown up. You know, Christians too can play this little game of dismissing God's word offhand. And sometimes we too will find about any reason to reject God's word. I, want you, I, I don't want you to get too comfortable as you're hearing this saying, yeah, all those, all those uh, the, the mob in the world out there, they need to get things right. Christians, we need to lead the charge with that. Let me show you where we can humbly repent of being more like the Thessalonians than the Brians. Here's where we do it. You know, that, that wasn't my style of a sermon. That pastor just doesn't speak to me. Wow, that sermon was just too long. Yeah, I, I couldn't focus at all. Too long. I wish the pastor would have made this other point. You know, yeah, what, what he made was, I guess it's true, but, but this other point, I really wanted to make him, him to make this point. Do either, have any of those things been something that you've done in your own heart as you've been listening to a sermon? What I would submit to you is those are subtle ways, ways that we would, would, would be tempted to dismiss the word, not let it have its full weight in our lives. You can always say that a pastor could have made another point in a sermon. But is the point he's making in a sermon true? Does that point, does that edge of scripture's knife, is it touching you the way it should? got to receive it into our hearts. We can't dismiss it. We have to let scripture do its work in our lives, friends. And that's where we see the better Bereans uh, really give us a picture of royal reading, of royal reception to God's word. It's who we ought to be. Your Sunday school teacher wasn't wrong when she told you when you were uh, uh, four or five, six years old, be like the Bereans. She was exactly right. Because these Bereans are this picture compared with a mob. They're the guys uh, who come in and with, like, it's as if they have crowns on their head and they're saying, we'll show you the dignified way to respond to God's word. What do they do? They search the scriptures to see if what Paul is saying is true. It's that simple. But let me unpack it with, with three distinct things that they do. Um, First thing they do, they receive the word with eagerness. They are eager and interested in seeing whether this thing they're hearing is, is legitimate and actually taught in the, in the Bible, in God's holy and inspired word. And so they hear this message of a savior who came as the Christ to die for our sins, to die the, the death that we deserve. And he not only died, but he rose again from the dead showing that there's power over sin and death, power over every empty word, and promiselessness life. And here comes the Savior, and they say, could this be true, that there's really a way to walk away from my addictions? Could there really be a way to, to, to overcome this guilt that bears down on me because of who I am and what I've done? They say, well, I hope it's true. Let's read the Bible to see if it is. And let me just say to you, friends, that this is a beautiful feature of the Christian life, eager reception of God's word. Not stubborn resistance, but eager reception. Say, yes, give me more of that truth. If it really is there, I want it. 
You know, I have I had a professor in seminary who epitomized this for me. His name's Professor Greg Beal. And Beal, um, he, his eyes lit up, lit up when he read the Bible like no one's I've ever, I've ever met. And there was this one time where we all um, came into class. And Beal wasn't there. He was late. He was 10 minutes late. So we were about ready to go. Okay, I guess he's not showing up. He comes into the door. He has this wild look in his eyes. He goes, you boys know what I've just been doing? What, Professor Beal? I've been digging for buried treasure in the word. Okay, okay. (laughs) It was a little odd, but he just had this excitement. He said, guys, I got something to show you. It's not what I had planned for today, but open your Bibles. I got to show you what I just found. He was so excited, so eager to receive what he'd been learning in God's word. He was late to class and then he came in just gushing with excitement to tell us about it. I love that guy. He left an impression on me like none of my other professors. And I had really good professors. Friends, are you eager to open God's word? Are you eager to open the Old Testament? How about the book of Leviticus? I'm not very eager to open that book. Let me tell you why you should be. Do you know what these royal readers opened? They didn't have the New Testament yet. They opened the Old Testament. They came together as a community. They didn't have their own personal Bibles either. They got together as a community. They opened the scrolls in the synagogue and they said, huh, let's see if Leviticus has anything to say about a savior who would free us from our sins. Does it? Absolutely. Leviticus speaks of a sacrificial system where the blood of bulls and goats were offered day after day by a high priest, and none of that could atone for sin, left us waiting and yearning for a Savior who could come and free us from our guilt, free us from the power of the stain of sin. And who is that one who has come? In in the very promise and order of Leviticus, it's Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. And so I just wonder if uh, these Bereans opened up their scroll, read Leviticus, and their eyes gleamed. They said, we found the buried treasure. We, we found him. He's, he's Jesus. He's in the Old Testament. Let me just say this to you, friends. God doesn't write letters that aren't relevant to your lives. The Bible is a letter, a whole letter written to you. He doesn't write letters that aren't relevant to your lives. He's the timeless God. So when we open the Bibles, I, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles and be eager about what you're going to find. And let me just let me bring you down to reality just a little bit. It's hard. It's hard work. Searching the Bibles is difficult. Leviticus is is sometimes difficult, but it's rewarding because you know you're going to find something. What are you going to find? You're going to find Jesus. So the Bereans were eager to open the word. They were also engaged in active examination. One of the things that you got to love about these royal readers is they weren't gullible. They cross-examine Paul, the apostle. Now think about that. This is Paul we're talking about. This This is the apostle that wrote most of the books of the New Testament, inspired by God when he did so. And they're saying, well, hang on. We want to make sure what you're saying is actually true, according to what we already have in our scriptures. It's bold. You gotta love it. Because what are they saying? They're saying that no apostle, 
No church council, no pastor has supreme authority, only the word of God. It is sufficient, necessary, authoritative, and so very clear as it shares with us the good news of salvation. Only the word of God has that final authority in your lives. So you got to open your Bibles. You got to cross-examine what you're hearing from various teachers. In fact, we need to cross-examine what we hear from every preacher, what we read in every book, what we glean from every podcast. We got to cross-examine it against the perfect standard of God's word. Let me tell you what that means. It means that no one who who just, you know, says, "Don't worry, I'm reformed." Are you biblical? Is what you're teaching right now biblical? Can you back it up with the full weight of scripture? The Bible, God's word is like an answer sheet. And you got to do this with me, friends. If I'm saying something in a, in a sermon, you say, I wonder if that's true, huh? Open your Bibles. Look at what I'm pointing to. See if the whole of the scripture backs it up. The passages I'm pointing to and even the passages I'm not pointing to. God's given you that royal responsibility. He's put crowns above on each Christian's head and said, read my word. Search the scriptures to see if it is so. No pre-digested food for you. You don't, you, you don't get to, you're, you're not just going to uh, eat food that's already been chewed. You got to do some chewing yourself in the word of God. Search the scriptures eagerly with full examination and, and do this daily. You notice that the Brians search the scriptures daily to see if this was so. What we mean by daily is on a regular basis in the ebb and flow of your lives. Not just ever once in a, a blue moon, but on a regular basis so that you can say, yeah, I'm opening my Bible. It's not gathering dust on my shelf, but but I'm opening it up. I'm searching it. I'm, I'm thinking about these things. I'm praying about these things. Friends, don't, don't get lazy with God's word. Don't let other Christians do all the work, that, that royal responsibility. You've got to enter into it yourself and say, I trust my pastor. I love him. I'm going to make sure what he's saying is biblical. You can do that even now. As you're sitting here, just look at what I'm saying. Look at the word. Read it for yourself. Say, I have reason to believe my pastor wouldn't lie to me, but, but, but is the scripture is the scripture backing this up? Don't be lazy, Christians. Dedicated time in God's word. And that's going to look different for different people. It might look like a, a dedicated um, a schedule. Schedules are very helpful. Maybe it's a certain uh, method. You can look those up on, on a, something like the Gospel Coalition website. They've got plenty of good suggestions for reading the Bible. The Robert Murray McChain method. Uh, other methods that are very uh, much simpler even if you're just starting off. So you can get yourself into a Bible reading method. You could also just say, you know what? I'm going to start off with this. Every morning I'm going to read my Bible for five minutes. I'm going to start there. Don't be lazy. Dig into God's word. Take that royal responsibility seriously. And you know what really helps with this? It's the goal that all this is about. It's the goal of believing in God, believing in Christ. 
We don't just read the scriptures to fact check. We don't read the scriptures just to download information. We read them because in them is found eternal life. And guess what? The Bereans found that eternal life. They read their Bibles and they said, he's totally right. It was all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. So let's believe in him. Let's trust in him as the only one who can save us from our sins. Let's join this movement that's turning the world upside down. Have you believed in the Savior? Have you searched the scriptures to see if he really is who he says he is? I invite you to do so this morning. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the royal example we see in your word of people who, saints who have come before us, who search the Bible, search your scriptures because they know that your word has weight. Lord, would we not be a people who would just have knee-jerk reaction to your word when we don't like what it says? Would we instead be be diligent to, to seek it out, even when it hurts us, even when we have to change. And Lord, help us to believe that as we do this, we're doing the most culturally impactful thing possible. We're calling hearts and minds to believe in the Savior, even our own hearts and minds. And that this is the means that you are going to use to establish the new heavens and new earth to turn the, the world right side up again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.